0: hi guys it's claire and this is body birth and beyond this is the no bullshit fitness meets midwifery podcast that you need in your life if you are currently trying to conceive if you're pregnant or if you've recently had a baby so grab yourself a cuppa and get stuck in because boy have i got some content for you Hi, guys. Welcome back to Body Birth and Beyond. I'm really excited today to be joined by Georgie Helmshaw, who is amazing. She's one of my midwifery colleagues. She has been qualified for, I think you qualified six months behind me. Did you, George? Yeah,
1: I did. Yeah, just just behind. Yeah, so
0: she's a lactation consultant and a tongue tie practitioner. So, do you want to do like a little intro to you, who you are, and what you do within those roles?
1: Yeah, I think let's go back to where I started and why I um, decided I'd tail off into the world of infant feeding from being a midwife because I've always really enjoyed being a midwife and um, loved my training, loved my job and then motherhood came along and I had my first baby um, six years ago now, little Tills and um, Tilly was born with a tongue tie and we had various infant feeding issues going on to do with her latch because of her tongue tie, and then the recompense of trying to feed a baby with a tongue tie for a week before we got an appointment, which we mm. went we pursued privately and um I felt really passionate about developing a service in Herefordshire because there was one that was not though it was non-existent yeah we've we, we had um b n t in the hospital which did an amazing job but had a long wait list and I just felt like women shouldn't be waiting that long because it's too important and it makes a massive impact on your experience so that's sort of where that's come from and then I suppose as I enjoyed like breastfeeding myself that passion has grown Um, and then naturally in my NHS role got more involved in baby friendly initiative bfi and that's sort of just snowballed and now i love it and it's it's where my heart lives and i love all aspects of infant feeding not just breastfeeding you know supporting bottle feeding parents um resolving issues with babies bottle feeding because they you know they can have issues as well and i think that's just where it's all sort of um amounted from so um training started probably about two years ago now where I started sort of lower level infant feeding training and then did a year-long course to become a lactation consultant sat the dreaded exam last year found out the week before Christmas that I passed thank you because it was quite a challenge but I'm I'm so proud of myself that I've done it because it was such an undertaking um thanks I happened a year before I started the course the year before and then um, qualified early last year, and then here we are. This is me. amazing.
0: This is... This, yeah, it's so, so cool.
1: Yeah, I I, th- I feel like I've got so much fire in my belly about it because it's so close to home, and I remember how yeah. I felt, and that's what's pushing me forward So yeah, I love it. Yeah, and I
0: think you're right. Like it's been a massive gap, hasn't it, in the care that we provide through the NHS is having you know I remember the couple of times that I've done community midwifery particularly once was the first time God was eight nine years ago and the second time was like three years ago now and even then you know having to say to women oh you know could you afford to see a private lactation consultant or could you afford to do like have yeah. a see a tongue-tie practitioner privately because we can't offer it to you it's 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 like a really disheartening thing isn't it to have to say that to women yeah. when you know they're they're struggling so much and if they're waiting for it on the, the NHS they're going to be waiting for ages so yeah. I think yeah it's amazing what you're doing and for for people that won't know or, or don't really know can you tell us like what a lactation consultant is and also what tongue tie is?
1: So I'll start with lactation. So IBCLC stands for International Board Certified Lactation Consultant. And it's sort of like the highest certification for um, breastfeeding training, breastfeeding support. And yeah. so where an IBCLC comes, and IBCLCs can be come from a different loads of different backgrounds. We're not all midwives. There's lots of breastfeeding counsellors, health visitors, nurses, nurses. Um, anyone can become an IBCLC and pursue that um accreditation, but they have different processes to go through. Um, and we really come from a holistic view of assessing how we can improve feeding outcomes for parents and achieve those feeding goals. And that might be as simple as a family who uh have struggled with a tongue tie and need help with developing milk supply it might be working with a uh, family antenatally um who, you know she might have had breast surgeries or yeah. um family history things like that and so there's lots of things that we can work towards and also bottle feeding parents you know babies that are suffering with signs of colic or reflux how we can fine-tune their latch to the bottles um you know uh fine-tune um pace feeding things like that that yeah. can really improve and make a difference to those babies' um symptoms and, and overall the parenting experience because parenting is hard enough as it is yet alone when but let alone when you've got an unsettled baby who's difficult to feed um it can be really challenging yeah for sure um, and and so then tongue tie is so tongue tie is it's uh, tongue tie is a word that can really um great on me because what we're actually looking at is a frenulum. So yes. a frenulum is uh, a piece of tissue that connects the tongue to the floor of the mouth. And frenulums are normal. Lots of people have got frenulums, but the cause that frenulum has or the effect that frenulum has on the oral tongue function or the um the movement of that tongue is what makes the difference and then how that impacts on feeding. Mm. And so with my background, I very much come from a feeding perspective. um, And I look at how that tongue function is impacted by a restrictive frenulum. And then that is where we get the diagnosis of a tongue tie. So when I when I'm doing my NHS teaching, we talk about tongue ties and how actually we should be saying to parents, it has the baby got a visible frenulum? And actually, what are the impacts of that? Rather than, oh, your baby's got a tongue tie because it's that negative connotation. Whereas a lot of babies can have a tongue tie and it doesn't necessarily cause a problem. If there's yeah. no feeding issues, then it's generally not anything to worry about.
0: Yeah. So it's uh, it's a big,
1: big can of worms.
0: No, but that's good to know, I think, because, you know, I think for a lot of parents, they might see like a really visible frenulum and automatically think, oh, my baby's got tongue tie. And then that will, like you say, kind of foster like a uh, negative thought process yeah. then and actually it it's not necessarily going to be that so that's, that's really it. good to kind of hear it put like that um yeah so we've had a few questions from the gram shall I we say. get into them you can hopefully um um answer some of these so the first one was will tongue tie affect my baby's speech
1: so this is a really this is a really frequent and common question that I get asked all the time, privately and uh, in the NHS. And really, there's not enough enough evidence to tell us whether it will affect speech or not. We know that lots of toddlers and young children have speech problems, lisps, speech impediments, but they're not there's not enough evidence to suggest that that is linked to a tongue tie. Right. Okay. Um, historically, that is what people really worry about. But what's most important is how that baby moves that tongue. Mm. So if you're if parents are worried about that, it would be worth having an assessment for because if the tongue functions normal, there's no reason why then that would cause a speech problem. Yeah. So, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's really hard to say yes or no because there's not enough evidence. Yeah. And I come from a feeding background. I'm sure if we had a speech and language therapist that was a tongue-tie practitioner, they'd come with a different view but generally, if the tongue functions normal, then it shouldn't affect it. What's more important is it will affect feeding and it can affect oral health, like tooth decay. It's oh, really? It... Yeah. So uh, if you've got a tongue restriction or in inverted commas, tongue tie, and mm. that baby can't clean the back of their teeth properly, you know, if you imagine at the back of their bottom gum line, they should be able to get the tip of their tongue the back of their teeth and whenever I do that people mm. automatically start doing it mm, their jaw I'm right. doing it
0: now <laughs> yeah.
1: and then and that's because when we're eating we clean our teeth all the time don't mean we, when we've had something chewy But if you can't do that movement you've got food stuck there for ages and then eventually that will cause tooth decay um and also for babies often we see um like a milky stained tongue don't we at the back of their tongue yeah. can often be misdiagnosed as oral thrush. yeah But actually what that is, is a baby with a tongue restriction or a tongue tie um, can't lift their tongue properly to clean it along the hard palate um, at the top of their mouth. And so then that causes bacteria growth because you've got milk sitting there where it shouldn't be. That's
0: so interesting. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, and not a lot of people do. And we really hit hard on the feeding point of view because that is the primary thing that we want to get right for newborn babies. Yeah. But there is that secondary oral health it can affect their sleep as well so babies that often have poor sleep it could be because they can't um breathe through their nose so if you imagine now you close your mouth Mm. and breathe through your nose take a nice deep breath your tongue goes to the roof of your mouth doesn't it yeah and so babies that can't put their tongue on the roof of their mouth um often sleep with their mouth open because they have to mouth breathe and then we know if they're not if they're not nose breathing it has an effect on their central nervous system and the depth of sleep that they have so it has a bigger impact on those things than speech gosh my tiny mind is blown and
0: this is why I <laughs> just to point out to all the listeners that it's so important that we have people like Georgie doing what you're doing because I'm a qualified midwife and I've been qualified for for 10 years nearly and I I didn't know that because we don't get taught that so actually having these like specialist roles and and people like you who can come in and like give parents all of this information is so essential so interesting um so the next question was my baby has tongue tie but seems to be okay is it is that possible or should i get it assessed anyway
1: so I would always say, if you're confident that you haven't got any feeding concerns, and be really aware of um, what those symptoms might be. They might not be as obvious as a clicking sign when they're feeding, or if they're breastfeeding, a painful latch. It might be subtle things like episodes of constipation. You know, fluctuations in bowel habits. Um, what else is there? Um, that milky tongue, like I was talking about, things yeah. that are hidden symptoms. Um, that often aren't picked up as much. It's always worth getting an assessment. But generally, if there's no immediate feeding concerns, then don't worry about it. Because if there's no feeding concerns, the tongue function is likely to be okay. And then in which case, a division probably wouldn't be advised anyway.
0: Yeah, okay,
1: when professionals are assessing for a tongue tie we always look at the tongue function first Mm -hmm. rather than what the tongue looks like so function over appearance and if the function is normal you could have a tongue tie that looks really severe but if the tongue's moving fine then we wouldn't divide because it's not it's not indicated
0: okay fab I think that's another good thing to note is that like you you won't always go for separation if it's not if it's not required um just as a little tangent from that as well before we go to the next question um, you were just mentioning about symptoms there could you I know you've mentioned some of like the lesser kind of obvious symptoms what are the symptoms for um you know tongue tie
1: so they vary between how your baby's feeding so breast or bottle feeding but if we've got a mum who's breastfeeding symptoms that she might experience would be um nipple trauma painful feeding uh, episodes of mastitis engorgement or blocked ducts. um Discoloration of the nipples after a feed or misshapen nipples. So that typical lipstick shape that we always yeah. talk about. That's why. Um, for a baby, um, a shallow latch, if they feel like that baby is slipping off the breast, difficulty staying on and maintaining that latch, um restlessness after a feed, because essentially when they're breastfeeding, they need to have a good latch to achieve effective milk transfer. An effective milk milk transfer is probably my most favourite and most used phrase because that is the fundamental of infant feeding. To yeah. have a good latch, you need effective milk transfer. For effective milk transfer, you want a good latch and that is what's going to make your baby put on weight and have a healthy, yeah. settled, happy baby after a feed. Um, so for both types of feeding, you can get symptoms like clicking on the when they're feeding, and um, signs of reflux, colic, and you know, colic is a group of symptoms. So excessive wind, crying at certain periods. Um some people say that um a baby can't stick their tongue out, but that's a sign. And it's not always um it's it's a little red flag, but it's not a telltale sign that your right, baby's okay. got a tongue because babies don't understand us when we say, oh can you stick your tongue out so they might just be not willing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> weight, weight loss is um, is a bit of a red herring so sometimes babies that gain weight perfectly can still have a tongue tie and okay. that's because they've compensated for the way their tongue's working and often right. the mums are working really hard to get that milk in their baby so it's not yeah. always a good sign if your baby's gaining weight but you've still got other concerns yeah, still get an assessment you know just have your knowledge about the symptoms because yeah. then that you know backs up going for that assessment um
0: So I suppose it's like with everything that we do is looking at it as a whole rather than just focusing on like one thing.
1: Yeah. 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 And if you think you've got any signs or symptoms, try and improve that latch. And now that latch can be to a bottle or that latch can be to the breast. And it might be that if you're bottle feeding, those types of bottles typically don't suit your baby Mm. without mentioning that brand names. The mm. bottles that are wide in teats but short, you know, wide at the base but short in length, babies with a tongue tie often don't cope very well with because they can't achieve that deep latch. Yeah. But the the narrower neck bottles with longer teats work really well. And you don't have to pay for the expensive brands. Supermarket owned brands work really, really well. Yeah. And so it might be that your baby does have a tongue tie, but a change in bottle makes the massive you know improvement. And then we mm. wouldn't need to do an assessment or division. I always say talk to somebody about it because we can give you all that advice beforehand before you go ahead and pay for an assessment
0: yeah fab um okay next question was and I suppose you kind of already answered this but does it affect bottle feeding as well so Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah it does and a lot of the a lot of privately a lot of the babies that I see are bottle fed the older they are so perhaps in the early days, no symptoms were present, or they certainly weren't bad enough to warrant a referral in the NHS. And then they've slipped over the NHS cutoff, but the symptoms have got worse. The wind has compacted. They've become more refluxy as a result of taking in wind and taking in air. And those symptoms have come so bad that the parents are desperate to find out what's wrong. And often those babies that I see 10 to 16 weeks old are nearly always bottle feeding because... Um, we've not picked up on the symptoms all the, yeah, all the symptoms have been that. masked by yeah. what people think normal feeding should be yeah what is
0: the cutoff for NHS referral
1: so um, it varies per truss in Hereford it is 10 weeks okay um, uh, and privately it all depends on where you trained and what you're up to I see babies up until 16 weeks old yeah okay That's and, there's, and there's quite a difference in babies you know realistically the the younger they are the less aware they are of um of what's going on and so they always settle much quicker the older babies take a little bit longer to settle so it is better for them if we pick up in it on it sooner rather than later yeah
0: absolutely um the next question was i have a very refluxy baby is this due to poor latch
1: so yeah um it can be and i think reflux is a really big um a really big topic and what we know is that reflux can be caused by a couple of things and one thing is aerophasia so taking in air mm-hmm. and that can be caused by poor latch that poor latch could be caused by a tongue restriction uh the way that baby's feeding if it's on the bottle if it's on the breast um you know if it's breastfeeding it could just be down to a simple position change would make a massive difference um or it can be immature gut bacteria. So if you've had a premature baby, um, that can cause reflux. Or if you've had a baby that had antibiotics after, you know, not long after it was born, that can cause immature gut bacteria, because we know that has a massive impact on their microbiome. And so yeah, it's it's mostly those two things, but reflux okay. is a really big um a big umbrella that needs unpicking. And I definitely think if you've got a baby that you're struggling with reflux with, Get in touch with an IBCLC or someone that can help you unpick it. Mm. I'll do a little shout out to someone else. I know um, Alice Luck and Baby et al. Uh, on Instagram has amazing free resources for babies with reflux Right. Um, on her website and on her Instagram. And Alice is a prayer at it. So I'd, anyone with a baby with reflux, head to Alice's Instagram because she's such a wealth of knowledge there. Okay,
0: fab. I will. um, What I'll do is I'll try and find her Instagram and I'll link it in the show notes so people can go and have a look at that as well. Because I suppose it's again, it's it's like a multifaceted thing, isn't it? And when you talk about um, picking it, there's lots of different things, I suppose, that you've got to think about and get into in order to help improve that reflux.
1: Yeah. And it's never just a simple question. There's always, you know, we need to look at things with a holistic approach, don't we? And and look at what the causes could be. And it's so broad. It yeah. Looking into. yeah
0: for sure yeah. amazing and then the last question we had was um I had tongue tie as a baby so worried my baby might have it too and I'm scared about the separation process so can you tell us a like a bit about the separation process and kind of how it how it works and that sort of thing
1: yeah absolutely so um, first of all, if there's family history of a tongue tie, there is a chance that your baby could have one, but there is lots of benefit in knowledge. So we know that you've got a family history, so you can be aware of the signs and symptoms and act on it quickly. So then you don't experience all the symptoms and then the ongoing, um, feeding difficulties because we can be proactive. So yeah. have confidence that you've got that wealth of knowledge, um, the actual separation procedure is never as bad as everyone thinks. And all my feedback from private clients and in the NHS as well, they all say how it wasn't as bad as they thought it was going to be. And so if I talk you through a typical appointment and um, what people can expect, um, we talk very carefully about the risks and benefits of the procedure and um, talk about your feeding issues, feeding concerns, what's been going on and um, try and unpick some of those and suggest some improvements for the short term yeah and then the the largest part of the appointment is all about the assessment so assessing that tongue function exactly how that baby's tongue moves in its mouth how it cuts your finger it's peristalsis, the movement of its tongue and then we have a look at what it looks like so what that tongue and frenulum looks like Um, And then we'll grade it. So I use the Hazel Baker tool, which is an assessment tool to mean we're really objective. We're not skewed by any information that we're given beforehand. And then we can make a clinical decision on whether a tongue tie division is needed. And so then preparing for a tongue tie division, obviously parents need to know the risks and benefits, but it is a really low risk procedure it is classed as a surgical procedure which is why it sounds really scary yeah what we have to remember is it's it's well governed we're supported by the association of tongue tie practitioners if we're in the nhs it's governed by the nhs and the wider um team and so the procedure itself what you can expect is we'll swaddle your baby and make sure your baby's nice and settled and comfortable um and, and We'll have done the assessment already, so we'll already know what your baby's tongue looks like, exactly where the incision needs to be. And it is as simple as a snip under the tongue to clear that tissue. And we always aim to do it in one snip. Sometimes, if it is a particularly difficult um, attachment or if it's really posterior, so there's two types of tongue tie really anterior and posterior. it's posterior sometimes to get a full division it takes two two snips but it's always the thing that takes the longest sorry about the doorbell on the dog
0: absolutely don't worry
1: (laughs) Uh, perks of working from home um so the the thing that takes the longest is getting the gloves on and making sure that everything's sterile um hang on a second it's
0: okay don't stress
1: um So, yeah, the thing that takes the longest is getting your gloves on and assessing that baby. Um, And once you've identified where you're going to snip, the snip takes less than 10 seconds. And the baby's back in mum's arms, having a feed, getting that comfort and loving bond again. And whether you're breast or bottle feeding, it doesn't matter because we get that baby feeding. And always, always that baby is settled usually within a minute yeah um like I said before those older babies sometimes a little bit more unsettled but we can do things to keep them settled in the meantime yeah so it's not as bad as what everyone expects at all yeah
0: I think like you say because it's a surgical procedure because your baby is having something essentially cut inside their mouth it sounds really really scary doesn't it but actually
1: yeah
0: once someone you know for anyone out there listening to this who who is thinking that their baby might need to have this done when you see somebody who is experienced as as experienced as Georgie and will be able to explain you know all the risks and the benefits to you and like walk you through the procedure it's never as bad as you think it's going to be in in your mind um the other thing I just wanted to ask sort of leading on from that is what's the aftercare what once your baby's had a separation performed
1: So with me privately, normally the aftercare would be um, obviously immediately after division, close feeding support until you feel happy to be able to leave the appointment. Um, And the babies are always settled after a feed. I've never had a baby struggle on. Um, And then aftercare, I always provide um, follow-up telephone call uh, or text message the next day and then again in a week. But I keep my door open. So I know there are some families that, Needs slightly more support than others and it might be they need daily reassurance or text messages just to see how things are going or phone calls a couple of times a week just to see how that process is going but it's never normally attributed to an unsettled baby after a tongue tie it's all about fine-tuning those feeding positions and that baby's attachment to make feeding as effective as it can be and then effect by reduce making the feed as effective as possible you reduce the symptoms because the baby's not taking in air, so it's yeah. not going to be colicky, windy, and it's going to be pooing normally. And so, generally, within a week, we see a big improvement. But some amazing. families need more support than others, so yeah, we tell you
0: really. Yeah, excellent. Um, and then the final thing, um, I just wanted to ask you was about lip tie. Do you do any work with that, or
1: so lip ties? um a totally different kettle of fish and so right. um, I don't personally do lip ties okay um there are very few tongue tie practitioners that do if somebody had a concern about a lip tie it's always worth getting IBCLC involvement for support with feeding first because yeah Dividing a lip tie is different to dividing a lingual frenulum where there is a tongue tie because there is more involved up here at the top of the lip. I'm pointing, but people aren't going to be able to see me, are they? (laughs) Um, And so there's more involved on a lip tie than there is a tongue tie. And it's a more significant procedure and it's more painful. Right, So that needs to be taken into consideration before going ahead um not to say that it doesn't benefit everybody i don't know enough about it because i yeah. specialize in tongue ties in tongue tie, and yeah. that's the way i've been trained um i certainly would would encourage anyone to have um ear nose and throat referral if they were worried about lip tie if i've seen a lot of babies with lip ties and they've had a tongue tie as well and they have been able to achieve successful feeding with a lip tie once right, the tongue has okay. divided
0: okay that's that's good to know so potentially it it will affect feeding less than like a tongue restriction would
1: yeah because the lips involvement is quite um simple really the lip should uh, latch around the bottle or the breast and it should be slightly flanged out or like curved out whereas the tongue has a really pivotal role in um that milk transfer whether they're breast or bottle feeding yeah and if that milk transfer is in a, insufficient then feeding you could you could be latched as well as you want yeah but you're not going to be getting the milk whereas there is more you can do with a lip tie really before surgical intervention
0: amazing thank you that's very yeah. very informative very interesting so that's all our questions can you is there anything else that you think would be useful for the listeners to know or do you feel like we've covered most of the bases
1: i think we've covered i think we've covered the bases i think what knowledge is key so if you're worried mm. that your baby might have a tongue tie because you've got family history or your own personal history know the symptoms you will be able to breastfeed we just need to access the right support and make sure you've got the right support in place know those key positions so anyone out there with a baby with a tongue tie and you're waiting for an appointment on the nhs um if you're breastfeeding the koala or laid back feeding positions are perfect for tongue-tied babies because the gravity of babies the weight of baby's head on your breast tissue forces a deeper latch and so it baby feeds much more effectively so that is my go-to um and then for bottle feeding parents those narrower teats that are longer in shape work so much better and those often simple changes can make a massive difference to feeding outcomes whilst you're waiting appointments but just reach out for support if anyone's got any questions I'd be more than happy for people to message me on Instagram um, and I can provide them with any advice if they if they want it it's been so much fun can you you tell the people
0: can you tell the people where they can find you on the gram
1: so on the gram I am at three counties midwifery and it's three counties I came up with that name because I live on the Herefordshire, Shropshire and Powers Border. So uh, <laughs> yeah, so at Three Counties Midwifery. And I you can find me there. Excellent. And do you have a website as well? I do, yeah, thank you. So um it's threecountiesmidwifery.com. So nice and simple. Um Excellent. and that signpost. There's lots of free information on there as well, which c- people can find really helpful.
0: Fab. Well, I will link both of your Instagram and your website in the show notes anyway. And yeah, we'll we'll shout about this um little chat on instagram as well because it's been so fun thank you so much for coming to join me
1: oh claire thank you so much oh i love i love all of the things that you do and um yeah thank you so
0: much for having me as a guest oh you're so welcome if you're interested to know more about body birth and beyond then come and find me on instagram at bodybirthbeyond and slide into my dms for a little chat or visit my website coachedbyclaire.com both will be linked in the show notes